And you are listening to our WOKV District 4 Spotlight. My name is Kevin Rayfuse, and joining me now in studio is Bill McClure. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you coming in and joining us. So I guess first, uh, let's get right into it. We know you've uh, served as a St. John's County Commissioner, and now you're making this run for Congress at a federal level. You know, why now is the time to jump in, and what made you want to get more inspired and uh, or to get involved in the federal level, I should say? Great question. Uh, well, in 2000. And 10 uh, and 11, I decided it's time for me to get involved into politics because I think the government in general, and whether it's at a local level, a state level, or at a federal level, uh, forgot about the business person, forgot about where the economy uh, uh, was being led. And uh, so I jumped in as a St. John's County commissioner, told everyone in St. John's County, I'm gonna, going to apply business principles to government. And, uh, and we've turned that balance sheet around. We've turned the, the uh, profit and loss around. We've gone from a negative to a positive. Uh, we've increased our revenues and lowered taxes uh, for people. And then if, as you look up, the state of Florida is doing pretty well. AAA bond rating. Uh, Governor Scott is focused on jobs, jobs, job creation. Uh, I'm a businessman who's created thousands of jobs, so I certainly follow that. And where we lack is the leadership in Washington, D.C., and the focus on, on jobs and the economy. And to be a fiscal conservative. And I tout myself as a fiscal conservative. Well, and you mentioned that business approach in general, and, and really Northeast Florida seeing a lot of growth recently. I know a few weeks ago, Amazon announced that they were bringing 1,500 jobs into Duval County, and a lot of other companies investing. And you know, you from St. John's County, you firsthand have seen the growth there over the years. The school district absolutely booming right now. They're building new schools. I guess, how do you, uh, what type of impact do you think you could have on the federal level to keep that growth going? And how will you bring that federal approach here to Northeast Florida? Well, there's a a couple of things that you you have to do is number one is you have to be a fiscal conservative. So stop spending more money uh, than you have. Uh, it's easy at the local level, at the state level, or at the federal level to say, hey, we've got to balance our budget. And in, in order to balance the budget, we're just going to raise taxes to meet everybody's budget needs. And that's not the way to do it. So we take in uh, a, about $500 billion less than what we spend. We have to stop doing that at the federal level. And then what we have to do is decrease the size of government, take the money that we're, we're going to save by decreasing those federal agencies, and put them back into reinvestment, into jobs, into how are we going to attract uh, companies and help them grow. And that's through less regulation, not more regulation. St. John's County has just been recognized as number five in the nation number five in the nation for job creation. We've created more than 11,000 new jobs since 2011. And so we mentioned government agencies kind of switching gears a little bit here now. One of those agencies has come under fire, and we know it's, it's a bigger issue here in Northeast Florida, being such a military-oriented area, has been the VA, veterans not getting the care that they needed, both having with long wait times for doctors or not even getting to see their doctor at all. How do we go about reforming the VA so we guarantee our veterans get the care they deserve? Great question. Uh, there's, there's two options that are proposed right now. Uh, one option is being proposed by the current administration. Administration, and that is to spend $350 billion building additional VA hospitals. I'm not for that plan. The other option is called the VA Choice Bill, and that 
uh, option will give a card to every veteran, and then they can go and seek their health care and, and pick the best health care in their area. They don't have to go to the Veterans Administration Hospital. They can go to their local hospital, their local doctor, and it's their choice. And it's called the VA Choice Bill, and I'm 100% uh, supportive of that. And beyond the veterans kind of sticking with health care, we've seen the Obamacare law go into effect in recent years. It's been a bit of a controversial one, especially on the Republican side. Um, how do you go about what, I guess, is the, the solution to Obamacare? Do you, would you like to continue it? Would you like to get rid of it, replace and repeal? I guess what would be your aim on a federal level to kind of keep that or to keep working in health care? Uh, on a federal level, I would like to replace or re- certainly repeal uh, Obamacare. In fact, I'm one of only two candidates who signed a pledge to go ahead and repeal that. The uh, problem, many people didn't actually read the legislation. So many people don't understand that in 2018, if you're an employer and you create thousands of jobs for the economy right here in Jacksonville in the Metropolitan Service Area, that you're going to be hit with an 18%, that's an 18% called a Cadillac tax, on top of your current payroll taxes that's going to then go to fund the the risk pool, if you will, for, for those uninsured or uh, low-insured individuals, and that's going to fund that. And that's really not the way to do that. You're going to penalize business owners, and you're going to help fund health care, when in reality what they can do is uh, break down the barriers between the states. And if you want to order a individual policy from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Alabama, you should be able to, because it's all about a risk pool in insurance. And the bigger the risk pool, the lower the premiums generally. And so kind of sticking with another President Obama plan that has been stalled a bit, it's been the immigration issue. We've seen calls on both sides of the aisle really for immigration reform. They've been varying. We saw President Obama's executive actions that were put on hold temporarily by the Supreme Court. On the other side of the coin, we've seen Donald Trump go as far as asking to build a wall across the southern border to Mexico. But regardless, we've seen calls on both sides of the aisle. What do you think is the best solution to tackling immigration reform? Well, the the best solution is following the law that are already on the books. Congress passed a Border Security Act of 2006. That's 10 years ago, Congress, a Democratic-controlled Congress, said build a wall. And they were supposed to build a wall, and they have not done that. So that happened in 2006. Donald Trump is coming out and saying, hey, we've got to build the wall because you guys have already voted on it. The funding was supposed to be there, but the executive action of the for coming from the White House was not to fund that uh, and that particular. As far as on immigration, the immigration laws, my mother was born in Rome, Italy. She came here legally. And in order to do that, you have to come through Customs and Border Patrol. You have to to tell them what's your intent, where you're going, and you have to make sure that you're a productive member of society. Those are on the books today. Uh, and and if you overstay your visa, you're supposed to be uh, tracked down and said, hey, you've overstayed your visa, and uh, you need to go back to the country that you, you originated from. And you just mentioned your mother's from Italy, you know, being an immigrant. What type of impact has that had on your life, and how will that translate into your campaign? Uh, well, it, it, she, you know, she she taught me to, to work hard. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a little secret that when I was 16 years old, she actually said that I'm uh, was an entitled uh, brat, and she gave me $500 and said, "Go to Europe, and I want you to visit every single country via uh, what's called a Eurail pass, and that's how they travel is on the rail." So she said, "Go and visit how other countries live," and I came back kissing America, the ground that. 
you don't realize that if you're complaining about a building that's 30 years old, it doesn't have Wi-Fi and it doesn't have uh, uh, electricity where you want it, uh, that over there these buildings are thousands of years old. These Everybody has immigration controls. They want to know where you are going, what's your visa. They need to stamp your visa before you come in and on your way out so they can track you. And so sticking in Europe now, it kind of translates nicely into this theme. Um, a lot of things, it's been a major, major issue over there, but it's on the mind of everyone over here has been the rise of the Islamic State, continued terrorism in Europe alone. We've seen attacks in Paris, in Brussels, in Nice. Our response so far, basically under President Obama, has been the use of airstrikes and the use of special forces in both Syria and Iraq. What do you think of our campaign against ISIS so far? And if there's anything you would change about it, what would that be? Well, I think part of the problem uh, is that we don't recognize uh, Islam for what it is. I told you my mom grew up in Italy, and in Italy, they don't recognize Islam as a religion. So you're not afforded the protections uh, under here in America, like the First Amendment. So first of all, it's, it's recognized in Italy as a political sect. It is not recognized as a religion because it's a political ideology. Uh, And so we have to first recognize what uh, Islam is about. Second of all, as far as the, uh, you know, eradicating ISIS and how we're going to do that, we need to stop talking about it and we need to just do it. Everybody talks about, um, you know, protecting the borders, uh, both domestic and foreign. And when I swear to take the oath as your next congressman, I'll have to to swear upon that oath. And that's going to be a lot of surveillance. That's going to be making sure that we uh, target the right individuals. Now, if you're here and you, you're a uh, you know, peaceful contributor to the society here in America, then obviously you know, you're here to, to, to live under our laws. And we're one nation under God, and they should not uh, forget that. And, and part of that issue as well has been the, the Syrian refugee crisis, if you will, with so many people fleeing that country. We've seen President Obama call for a number of them to be settled both here in Florida and across the country. At the same time, Governor Scott, one of many governors who's called for a temporary stay on that immigration, calling for more rigorous screening. I guess, where do you lie on that type of issue? Well, uh, number one is, you, just like I said when I was 16, going into other countries, into into Europe, and they want to know who you are. Uh, there's a huge vetting process. That thing, that vetting process needs to occur here in in America. So we can't let Syrians in or refugees in unless we know who you are, where you're coming from, where you're going, you know what your ide- ideologies are, and uh, and then how can we help you? Because uh, you know the answer isn't just come on in. It's, you know, more than that. There's, you know, where are you going to stay? How are you going to eat? You know, how are you going to live? Do you have children? There's a lot, there's a lot behind that. And we're not even asking those questions. And so, on a, bringing it back here to America, we've seen in recent months the police shootings in both Dallas and Baton Rouge. We've seen the killing of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile in Baton Rouge and in Minnesota. There's been a number of police and community-related issues. So, as we continue to move forward, how do we reestablish that trust between police officers and the community so that both sides of that, are, or both sides of the aisle, I should say, are kept safe and can do their jobs effectively? 
Well, I think the answer to that is uh, top-down leadership. Uh, if you lead by example, uh, then your constituents in a particular area, and in, as a congressman, I'll represent 700,000 constituents in the northeast uh, part of Florida. But that attitude of divisiveness, I think, comes from the White House and then is pervasive through Congress. So uh, when you have the first lady making a speech to college graduates and talking about that I slavery and the divisiveness between black and white, and you have the president talking about Black Lives Matter, I think that that is just you know instilling uh, the divisiveness in in everyone. As a congressman, you have to realize that you represent everyone, not just your constituent, but you're representing America. You're one of 535 uh, congressmen that you're you're representing. America. And I think that you have to act that way. And I can tell you that as a 48-year-old male uh, who graduated high school in 1985, you know, we I didn't live through segregation. Uh, it, we were all, no, everybody was colorblind uh, during high school, or elementary school, middle school, and high school. We all played together. Everybody played together. It didn't matter. The color of your skin should not matter. And it's only those people who instill that divisiveness or that hate and sh- point out that he's a different color color than you, or he looks a different color way, or his nose is more rounded, or his eyes are more slitted, whatever it is, those people are pointing out the difference, and, and they're pointing out that, you know, perhaps that, that they, they're instilling hate, and that's not right. We've got to lead by example. And another issue that's been big here in Florida in recent months, and, and really across the country in general, it's actually today, ironically, as we're doing this interview, it'll, but today, it's, believe it or not, the two-month anniversary since the Pulse shooting in Orlando. 50-plus people killed a number of mass shooting incidents across the United States. On the Democratic side, we've seen calls for more gun control. On the Republican side, a bigger focus on the mental health issue. You know, what do we do to prevent these types of incidents from continuing to happen? Well, uh, first of all, you know, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. So that stands, uh, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm principled. Now, policy decisions, uh, as far as how you're going to implement things, those are all negotiable. But the principles and the founding documents uh, of the Constitution are not negotiable. So uh, a big proponent of Second Amendment. As far as the Pulse uh, nightclub shooting, uh, that individual was under surveillance uh, by the FBI. Um, I can tell you again, it's a top-down mentality. Uh, and they were probably told uh, to you know, stand down just like Benghazi or just like other areas. When I decided to run for Congress and uh, we were talking about immigration, I actually traveled to Miami to meet with Border Patrol and say, look, the White House says that there's 11,000 uh, 11 million undocumented immigrants in America. Is that true? Can you can we talk about it? They all laughed and they said, no, there's about 25 million. And they said, we were told by our boss and our boss's boss and our boss's boss, it goes all the way up the line, that we're just to go ahead and let them in and we're, there is no big policy on, on a follow-up policy. So a bit of a more Florida-oriented note has been a concern that we've seen the number of cases of the Zika virus here grow in Florida. We've seen Governor Scott call for more assistance. We've seen Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Bill Nelson both calling for those reforms. Congress did go out of town without passing any reform or funding package for the Zika virus, I should say. President Obama also calling for funding. But either way, the technicalities weren't worked out. What do you think needs to be done, and what type of action would you see as a native Floridian against 
against the Zika virus to keep the spread you know, contained relatively? Well, there are two issues. Uh, I met with Governor Scott yesterday. Uh, we sat down at a roundtable. Uh, in, in St. John's County, we are uh, attacking the Zika virus with education. So we're educating the kids. We're starting a spill the water campaign. So we want kids of all ages, uh, from kindergarten through high school, to go around and spill all the water that they can in their uh, uh, pots or around their house and, and uh, you know, ask their parents to make sure it's okay. Even a uh, cap on a water bottle, if they see that's turned up and it has water in it, can, can actually have millions of mosquitoes. So we're on a spill the water campaign right now. Uh, we're doing public service announcements. We're telling people to make sure that you wear uh, a bug spray, bug spray or um, repellent and then wear long sleeve clothing. Uh, and what people don't understand is that uh, sometimes they don't understand the Zika virus. It doesn't live in a retention pond or in a, uh, you know, somebody's in a ditch in, a, in an area. So these are very small pools of water that they want to live around your home. So so that's specifically what they're looking for. Uh, the, the bigger issue as far as Congress and the congressional funding uh, – it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. You're very disappointed that there was no funding. And the problem is that the bill that funded the Zika, uh, the money specifically for the Zika virus, was um, convoluted with a repeal the Obamacare with other bills in there. So obviously there's going to be a lot of uh, talk that, oh, if we pass this bill for Zika virus, then that means arbitrarily we're, we're doing five other things. That's not the way to pass a bill in Congress. So as we begin to wrap up our conversation here, I always like to end it on a bit of a lighter note. We know it's a, a very crowded Republican field ahead of this August 30th primary, a lot of different candidates. What qualifies you to best represent the people of Florida in Congress? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, the, the honest truth is that I'm not the establishment pick. Uh, I have been called probably, you know, 15 times over the last four years as a St. John's County Commissioner, uh, the People's Commissioner. My obligation is to the to the people. Uh, I don't hold special interest money. Uh, I don't take. I funded the the campaign. Uh, put my first hundred thousand dollars in of my own money. So I'm self funding my campaign. Um, I'm not an establishment pick, or I'm not picked to hold a seat for uh, for someone else. Uh, and that's what I think people need to understand is that I'm going to listen to the people. I'm going to then take their uh, concerns and their policy decisions back to Congress, and we're going to make sure that we do two things. Number one is protect us as a whole, as a country, and then protect the citizens of Northeast Florida uh, and implement fiscal conservative policies, which will then turn into the other strategic policies, and that's whether it's social or whatever whatever uh, happens uh, after that. But we've got to be able to make sure that we bring some of the money that we do spend in payroll taxes uh, and personal income tax back to Northeast Florida, and I'm the guy to make sure that you do that. And you've been listening to the WOKV District 4 Spotlight. My name is Kevin Rafuse. You've been hearing my conversation with Bill McClure. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.